Are you tired of being told what to think and how to act? Well, you are not alone. In case you haven't realized it, you have an internal GPS. It knows all you need to know about how to live your life. So it's about time you stopped letting the media and the government tell you what is true for you. In fact, it is exactly that time. It's time to think for yourself. And here to make sure you're doing just that is your host, mediator, author, and lawyer, Carol Gold. Hi, it's Sunday, January 29th. I'm Carol Gold, and welcome to Think for Yourself. I'd like to talk a bit about meaning, because I think meaning is tied to purpose, and purpose is a mainstay of our existence. When I say meaning, what I'm referring to is not only the fact that we all need meaning in our lives. Perhaps that's nowhere better documented than in the book Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. Viktor Frankl was a Holocaust survivor who wrote the book I just identified, Man's Search for Meaning, in, I think, 1946. What he did in the book was to look at or explore the human will the natural inclination of us all to find meaning in spite of absolutely the worst kinds of adversity. And of course, he's talking about the Holocaust. And the point that he makes, I guess if it's even respectable or if it's possible to sum up what he said in this remarkable work, is that the difference between those who were able to survive the horrific conditions in the concentration camps was really the difference between those who could find meaning in suffering and those who could not. That somehow if you can bring meaning even to the worst suffering, it somehow, I want to say enriches, if, if perhaps that's a word that isn't appropriate in, in the circumstance, but it kind of feels that way to me. It enriches the experience. It gives you It gives your own will fuel, fuel to keep going. We humans also understand meaning in the context of words because words mean things or they should anyway. We relate to one another and we understand our reality by the very words we use to describe it, the objective reality, the very words we use to describe our own subjective experience of reality. So this past week, I was listening to Kamala Harris, Vice President Harris, who was speaking at, I think it was the 50th anniversary of the Roe v. Wade decision, something which obviously she is strongly in favor of. She's strongly against the recent Dobbs decision, which returned that decision-making process of whether or not abortion is legal in a given state to the states themselves arguing and concluding in the Dobbs opinion that there's no such thing as a federal right to abortion. There's nothing in the Constitution. It is a state's rights issue because it's not particularly enumerated in the Constitution. And and I'm not here in this episode to debate that particular argument, only to say that she was speaking on the 50th anniversary of Roe because she is pro-abortion. And she said something that probably triggered this entire podcast in my mind at the time. And it was this. She was quoting the Declaration of Independence. And in doing so, 
in support of abortion, she said that the Declaration says that we are endowed with certain rights and that among those rights are liberty and pursuit of happiness. The problem with what she said is what she didn't say, if that's not too illogical of a conclusion or of a statement. And I'll particularly draw attention to that in a minute and give you an example of what I'm talking about when I say that she left out certain words. And the words that she left out were, number one, creator. We were endowed by our creator, which is what the declaration says, with certain inalienable rights, rights that cannot be taken away. She left out inalienable. And among those rights, she said, are liberty and the pursuit of happiness. She left out life. Now, I believe that she left out certain words deliberately. She is, after all, a law school graduate. She passed the bar. She practiced law. She was a prosecutor in California, and she's the vice president of the United States. I'm going to take a giant leap of assumption and say she knows what the Declaration of Independence says. And hopefully she knows what the Constitution says as well. And so when you quote a document that is foundational to your occupation, to your chosen career, to your life's path, I believe that you quote it accurately and you quote it fully and you don't quote it in a way that only supports what you want to convey and conveniently does not support that which you oppose. Because the brilliance of the First Amendment, which gives us the right to free speech, is that it's the right to all kinds of speech. You're allowed to say things that offend other people. What you're not allowed to do, from an ethical and moral standpoint, is to selectively say or deliberately mislead, especially if you're in a position of authority, or particularly if you work for the justice system, or you are in government and public service in one form or another, is to manipulate the language and thereby affect the meaning. So if I say to you, in your best interest, it would be wise for you not to go down the street, and I leave out the word not, then what I would be saying to you is that it's in your best interest for you to go down the street. Now, there's a very different meaning in those two sentences. In the first sentence, you're cautioned not to go down the street. In the second sentence, you're encouraged to go down the street. And if at the end of that street there was, in fact, danger or something that was harmful or adverse to your best interest, then it would be deliberately manipulative to leave out the word not. When you quote the Declaration of Independence, and you say that you are endowed, but you don't say by your creator, and that your rights are inalienable, and that among those rights are life, there are three things you're attempting to circumvent. The first is that we are, in fact, the progeny of and the result of the actions, thoughts of a creator. And that the creator has given us rights that can't be taken away by other humans. They're called inalienable. And among those rights are life. So life 
if you're pro-life, if you believe that life begins, whether you believe it begins at conception or you believe it begins at six weeks when there's a heartbeat or at whatever point of gestation you believe that it begins, you nonetheless perceive that a fetus in the womb is living, that it is a form of life. And it in fact has all of the indications of being life from the moment of conception, not discussing whether or not it's viable outside of the womb. I'm only saying that at that moment of conception, you have commenced life at its most primitive form, but nonetheless life. So in leaving out the creator and leaving out inalienable and leaving out life, Kamala Harris attempted to manipulate not only the meaning of the declaration, but also the mind of the listener. And why this is really key and important is because we live in a country today, thanks to the devolution of our education system, where most people up to probably age 55 have no clue what's in the Declaration or the Constitution because they weren't taught it, whether it was in K through 12 or in college. It's simply been written out of the education process. So to people who hear that, and I watched her say it to the crowd, and I watched them cheer like crazy when she said it, they cheered for two reasons. One, because it too supports what they believe in, which is abortion, the right to abortion. But two, they cheered because they had absolutely no idea that she was not only misquoting, but deliberately manipulating the founding principles upon which this country was birthed. And this is really important. It's important because words have meaning. And meaning is important because meaning gives our life depth and it gives our lives breath. And it's what life is all about. You know, in the past few episodes, I've spoken repeatedly about Benjamin Netanyahu, the Prime Minister of Israel. And the reason I've done that is because those of you who listen to me regularly know that I recently read his autobiography, and there are several things in it that have triggered thoughts that have spawned several episodes of my podcast. And in this one, again, around meaning, around purpose, I have to refer to something he said in an interview that Jordan Peterson recently did of Netanyahu since Netanyahu has been reelected as prime minister of Israel, which will be his third term. And in the next few days, he's about to form a new coalition government. He was talking about his life's purpose, and he was saying how both his grandfather and his father, who were both born outside of Israel, but who were adamant about the founding of the Jewish nation or the refounding, the return of Jews to to the land of ancient Israel, to the land that was gifted to them by our creator as evidenced by the Bible and which they inhabited. And I won't go into it because again, that's another episode of what the legal actual right is to the Jews in having the state of Israel as their homeland and how they have fundamentally inhabited it through two and a half centuries before they were conquered and many of them evicted from the land. And then those who conquered them, the Arabs, actually were displaced themselves by the Ottomans and by subsequent occupiers of their own, all of which did nothing to better the land. They all left it barren and vacant and untended until the Jews returned in 1948 or slightly around 1948. Anyway... I digress, sorry. 
it's something that's dear to my heart. It's something that has meaning and purpose for me as a Jew, obviously. But also because I'm fascinated with history and I like to know the facts, not the propaganda and not the convenient tale that weaves a certain story by misusing language and rewriting history. Again, referencing back to Kamala Harris and what she did with quoting the Declaration. But what Netanyahu was saying to Jordan Peterson, Peterson asked him about leaders with purpose and leaders without purpose, because he said to Netanyahu, it's pretty apparent that in the course of your lifetime of public service in Israel, you've met world leaders from almost every country. You've met some consecutive administrations in the United States. He's dealt with three or four presidents. And he said, are there other leaders with purpose that you've encountered and are there leaders without purpose? And what's the difference? What is a leader without purpose seeking? And I don't think that Netanyahu could so much answer the question of what's a leader without purpose seeking because he himself has purpose and is driven by meaning in his life. His purpose and meaning being to see that as his father and grandfather helped establish the state of Israel, that he is instrumental in shoring it up, making it as prosperous and as strong as possible in military technology, finances, so that it remains a strong country, an independent country, and has a future. That's his mission, his purpose. He used Obama as an example. He said President Obama was a very purposeful president. He had a very strong belief system and meaning for him in what he was doing. The problem was that Netanyahu and Obama's purpose were diametrically opposed. It's the reason Netanyahu came to the United States and did something no one had ever done before, which is address a joint session of Congress and oppose our own president. It was over the Iran deal that Obama had struck with the Iranians and Obama and, and Netanyahu was attempting to stop it because he believes it's a threat not only to Israel, but to the world to give Iran a path to a, to a nuclear weapon. And he said this about Obama. He said, Obama believed that through peace, you could be strong. And Netanyahu believes that through strength, there's peace. He gave an example of that, and that was that for decades, if not longer, the narrative had been that in order to make peace in the Arab world, in the Middle East, the Israelis have to make peace with the Palestinians. But Netanyahu said the Palestinians are 1% of an Arab world. The other 99% are obviously the more powerful and the, and the greater. So it makes no sense to try to make peace with the 1% who doesn't want it when there might be a path to making peace with the 99% and then come back to the 1% once you have the majority at a place of compromise and peacefulness. And that's exactly what he did. He reached out to the UAE, to United Arab Emirates, to Bahrain, and to the other two countries that he, in essence, and with President Trump's assistance, signed the Abraham Accords. And now he's looking to do the same thing with Saudi Arabia, to bring it into the same peaceful fold so that there can be true peace in the Middle East. And it was done through strength, not military strength alone. It was done through the strength of the Israeli economy by taking it from a socialist state, semi-socialist state, to a democrat, more of a democratic state, but more importantly, free market capitalism instead of socialism by developing its tech sector, etc. 
I bring all this up because it's about purpose and meaning. And meaning is where I started in this podcast. It is very important that we have meaning. And I think that what's missing, what's happening in this country today with all of the machinations and manipulations of language, of what a man is, of what a woman is, of what liberty is, of what self-defense is, of what free speech is, the manipulation of all of those concepts to fit a narrative that is not only antagonistic, but even hostile to the founding principles of this country are what has confused several generations. The last three, I would say, millennials, Xers, and Zs, they have no meaning in their lives. They grew up on social media, they grew up with technology, and they grew up with a culture adrift, a culture that is lost unto itself. And as I said to someone earlier today, that when you're wandering in the desert, so to speak, when you're wandering in a cultural desert, you know, two things can happen, as is the biblical example. God can show up, or the opposite of God can show up. And you'll find yourself either following the light or you'll find yourself continuing to grasp your way through the darkness. Today, I read an article about something that happened in Dallas over the weekend. I live in Texas. In Dallas, at a community center, there was a trans show put on, an event, and it was open to the public. It sold out in advance. There were families there, and I watched video because a reporter for a a news organization attended, and she took video. Her name is Sarah Gonzalez, I believe it is, and she works for the Blaze Media Outlet. She videotaped and audioed what was happening, and it was a room full of families with young children, four, five, six, eight, ten years old. And these were all transvestites, or I guess that's what they are. I don't know anymore because words don't have any meaning. A man doesn't mean anything and woman doesn't mean anything. And they were men, biological men, dressed up as women with huge breasts or artificial breasts, I don't know, and large buttocks. And they had beards and wigs and they were doing gyrating dances and One of them started off the event with a room full of people, families and children, with the following toast. Here's to you, and here's to me, and here's to those who lick where we pee. And as repulsive as that is for me to say, it was more repulsive to watch everyone in the room lift their glass and cheer and yell and say yay and whatever. And then subsequently to watch the children diving on the floor for the dollar bills that were being tossed at the gyrating male dancers, male slash female adorned dancers. I don't know what's happened to us, but I do know this, that when you rob the language of meaning, when you take away foundational principles, when you misquote deliberately foundational documents, What you do is set a culture adrift. And in that void that you create by taking something away and not replacing it with anything of value, but replacing it with that which feeds your own eroticism and your own greed and your own lust and your own desire for power just for power's sake. 
what you do is destroy the possibility of a sustainable future. So while all of those who are worried about sustainability, and we hear it in terms of energy, and we hear it in terms of economy, and we hear it in all kinds of terms, where I don't hear it used at all is in terms of sustaining a nation, a culture, a people, a history, and that's where we are. They didn't just lock us down for a few months over a pandemic. They locked us down from connecting to one another and they cut us off in the process when we weren't looking from the things that tether us to a foundation that has brought this nation and this culture farther than any other has come in the history of the world in terms of alleviating suffering and hunger and disease and creating advances in science and medicine and education. Viktor Frankl said it very well in 1946 when he wrote Man's Search for Meaning. And if ever that book had profound application, I would say it was immediately after the Holocaust and it is now because we are desperately in need of meaning. We are once again on man's search for meaning. If you have the will, I suggest you begin to bring it into your own life as I'm attempting to bring it into mine. I have a little bit of an advantage over those millennials and Xers and Zs because I grew up when words still meant something and principles still meant something. I have values and principles and language and history to draw on, but those younger do not. They're going to need help or they're going to be forever wandering and grasping in the darkness. And at some point, there'll be no one left to even do that. I'd like to end on a positive note. I always do. It would be this. Life is a search for meaning in good times and in bad. Harder to find it when there's adversity, but it's there nonetheless. And I think it's the very essence of why we're born. Because you know the expression, it's not what happens to you, it's how you handle it. That actually is predicated upon what meaning you bring to the experiences of your own life. It's the glass half empty, the glass half full kind of analysis. And as we go through these times where certain people with a specific agenda are desperately trying to upend everything that does have meaning, everything that does anchor us to that foundational document and those other foundational documents that have brought us this far, don't let them do it to you. Don't let them leave you with a void and certainly don't let them fill in the void. I think it was Rahm Emanuel, Bill Clinton's chief of staff, who said, never let a crisis go to waste. We've been in a crisis since COVID, and they haven't let it go to waste. They have taken the opportunity to dismantle so many things that are foundational. It won't take much to bring them back, but it will take an effort by a certain number of us to bring it forward, to put it once again at the forefront and to say, 
I was endowed by my creator with certain inalienable rights, and among those rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Thanks for listening. I'm Carol Gold. I'll be back here again next Sunday. And until I am, by all means, think for yourself. Carol thanks you for spending your valuable time with her. It is her mission to empower you to remember how smart and capable you are. Be sure to check out Carol's website, carolgold.com. That's carol with an E, gold.com. Please leave a review and subscribe here so you'll be alerted to Carol's next podcast. Until then, above all else, remember, it's time to think for yourself.